0: Although I have two degrees, including an MBA from Georgia State University, I haven't worked a nine-to-five since I met Dre. When we first moved to Atlanta, I was kept busy furnishing his new condo and my townhouse, which were about ten minutes apart. Even though we spent a lot of time together, Dre thought it best that we have separate living quarters. I understood that. I even picked up a few clients for interior design work and then pursued my MBA at night, but didn't tell Dre about it, because he made it clear he wanted me to be able to travel at a moment's notice to attend his road games. Being Dre's love at times was like having a full-time job. I was responsible for purchasing most of his MBA wardrobe, which meant his suits, shirts, underwear, and ties. He bought his own jeans and sneakers. I set up his computer and iPod, And made sure he had the latest electronic gadget. Life was easy and good. I had season tickets to the Hawks, I didn't miss one home game, and attended as many road games as I could get to. I wouldn't call myself a huge basketball fan, but I loved going to the games to see what the wives, girlfriends, and groupies were wearing. At first, I was envious that they got to show their love and support publicly, but later I felt sorry for many of them when Dre reminded me how much their husbands and boyfriends cheated on them when away on road games. The first three years in Atlanta were like heaven. Then she came along, and everything changed. The straight club scene in Atlanta bored me, and the gay one didn't do much for me either, so I didn't mind when Dre went to the clubs and strip bars with his teammates. To me, it was part of his job. But when one of his teammates suggested that I might be more than his interior designer-slash-stylist, Dre went on a tear to find women. And trust me, the ladies were waiting. At first he dated a couple of ghetto-fabulous sisters and some plain ghetto girls, but got tired of them easily. I knew there was something different when he told me he'd met this young lady at a club in Miami after a road game there. He talked about how smart— and beautiful she was, and how much she knew about sports. Judy Ledbetter gave Dre the appearance of a socialite, but sounded to me like a shrewd gold-digger who gave good head, for a female, that is. I guess everybody is good at something. I imagined her being like the ladies I sometimes saw in Tony restaurants, enjoying liquid lunches, and having flings with their well-built trainers. I had no proof this was the case with Judy, But it was my secret wish. Before I knew it, she was doing some of the things Dre had depended on me to do for him, like buying his clothes, planning his vacations, and advising him on what products he should endorse. The difference between her advice and mine was that she did it with a feminine flair, whereas I always presented my advice as one of his boys telling him what was cool. I hadn't grown up in the lifestyle Dre and I were now living, but I'd done my homework to keep my head above water. I pored over style magazines like GQ and Esquire. I watched the Fine Living Channel daily. I was constantly reading InStyle and Architectural Digest. My design background came in handy when I talked with the builders of Dre's condo about crown molding, marble, and built-in bookshelves. When he built his first house, it was I who suggested the indoor pool and the basketball and tennis courts. As far as I was concerned, nothing seemed to change between Dre and me after he met Judy. I still saw him four to five times a week, but unbeknownst to me, Dre had other plans that would cause things to change a bit. I showed no reaction when he announced, that he was marrying Judy in what was to be one of the biggest weddings Miami's Star Island had ever seen. I'd seen it coming and told myself that I'd hold it together when he broke the news. I wanted to show him I could take care of myself. Needless to say, I didn't attend. Instead, I spent the entire month of June touring Europe on Dre's Dime so I didn't have to endure all the press attention their nuptials captured. When he bought a mansion in Country Club Hills, my design input went unsolicited. Dre had to know my feelings were hurt, so he moved me out of my townhouse and into a bigger house with a pool in Brookhaven and bought me a new Porsche. This didn't make me feel much better, but I took his gifts anyway. If buying me a house and car made Dre happy, then that made me happy. Judy was none the wiser. I understood that Dre needed to be married or have a steady girlfriend to enhance his career with the Hawks and endorsers like Nike, Sean John, and Gatorade. I didn't like it, but I understood. During his third year in the league, Dre was right behind Shaq, Kobe, and LeBron when it came to product endorsements. In his fourth year, he was still a popular pitch man. There was also the matter of his family, who had been pressuring him to marry. Dre came from a big family with three brothers and three sisters, who were now living in a slew of mansions Dre had built between Vicksburg and Jackson, Mississippi. His father, Henry, had quit his job as a construction worker and came to almost as many games as I attended. But I was never introduced to him or any of Dre's family. From what Dre told me, they were a close-knit bunch, but very country and conservative when it came to certain things. I translated that to mean that they wouldn't be too happy about our relationship. My family, on the other hand, was a lot different. I've been raised by a single mom in the small town of Burlington, North Carolina. My biological father left when I was six years old, and I don't remember that much about him. Mama eventually started dating a guy who I called Mr. Danny. I liked him, but he made Mama cry a lot and disappeared when he got Mama pregnant, and she found out he hadn't divorced his first wife.